0: Welcome to LifeBridge Online. Once again, we are glad that you are tuning in to be part of our services, and we are grateful that you are letting us minister to you in this online capacity. If you've been following along with us for a few weeks, then, then you, I want to update you on a couple of things that we've talked about. Uh, first off, several of you, and we are grateful for this, you have participated in, in our Restore His House campaign, where, where we are uh, we're just trying to make some needed uh, repairs, maintenance, updates to the exterior uh, of our building. Uh, it's been neglected for some time, and we, we just want to do a better job of taking care of the very thing that God has blessed us with. And we are making progress. We're excited to tell you that uh, most all of the outside work has been done to the building itself, the painting, the um The vinyl, the fascia, the soffits, the gutters, all those things are are done. Uh, We are still trying to raise the funds to put new windows in, and then we're going to be complete. Uh, We'll have everything done that we desire to have done. And I want to tell you just a praise. Uh, Our painter came back this past week, and uh, he was doing some touch-up work and finishing up a couple of things. And uh, we owed him some money. And uh, he pretty much just said, you know what, just pay me half. And so he donated $500 of, of what we owed him. And, and I just want to appreciate Kevin. Uh, he's with JC's painting here in Indicator, And these are the things that God continues to do through the life and through the work of this church. And we are certainly grateful for that type of generosity. Because when people are generous, when people are giving cheerfully, God works in those ways, and he has this way of multiplying the very things that, uh, that we're trusting him with. So as we trust him with our finances, man, he has a way of multiplying these things out and just being a, having a great impact on the kingdom. And so we're grateful for all the generosity that has been shown. Another thing to update you about is our Facebook community. Uh, LifeBridge Christian Community, we are launching that uh, this week. And this is just one more step in the LifeBridge family loving people as Jesus uh, loves people. And that's what we want to do. That's what we want to model. And I know that, uh, you know, you can say, well, it's, welcome to the game. And uh, we, we have Facebook and we have social media. Uh, but our shortcoming has been that we just use this to broadcast, that we use it to post. Um, upcoming events and announcements and facts and we want to do a better job of engaging with people we want to do a better job of connecting with one another and so I want to tell you starting February 14th we're going to be launching this this uh, community uh, the LifeBridge Christian community and then February 15th at 7 o'clock Central we are going to have our first live event and we are inviting all of you to participate in that Uh, There's gonna be some giveaways, there'll be some door prizes, there will be some interaction between uh, a few of us here at LifeBridge and hopefully our online community. And then there's going to be just a regular routine moving into the future of how we try to connect and engage with people using social media platforms. So speaking of social media platforms, I am sure that if you have been on any social media the past uh, week, you have seen the lawyer video where his filter actually gets turned on and he has the face of a cat. Now, if you haven't seen this, here's here's the scene. I I encourage you to go check that out. There's four screens. It's a Zoom call with a judge, uh, one attorney, two other figures, uh, who I'm not sure what their role is in all of this. And the judge is talking to this lawyer and somewhere in the, in, in the conversation, somehow the lawyer turns on his filter and the lawyer is now, ha- he now has the face of a cat. He has the appearance, looks like a cat talking, but, but we know that he's not a cat. And he even tells us, hey, it, I'm not a cat, I'm a real person. And in this very image, this very scenario, this kind of sets the tone for our teaching today. Uh, the outward appearance is something different from what's really going on on the inside. And so let's pray and then we're going to dive into this. Hey, God, we love you. We thank you for the opportunity to come before you today. No matter what we're doing right now, whether whether it be us just sitting focused, listening to this teaching and listening to your word, or or God, if if this is just in the background of life, if we're running errands or cutting grass or blowing snow or or whatever it is that, that we have going on, God, we know that you can speak into our lives. And so, Father, I pray, I pray that no matter what we're doing, your word today speaks the loudest. May we hear from you. We love you. And we trust. We trust that you're going to answer these prayers. Amen. So there's a, a biblical figure that uh, I have committed to studying this year for a couple of reasons. Um, next year, as we get into 2022, I really want to focus on several biblical figures throughout the year. Um, we want to talk and look deep into their lives. And, and so I want, I want these biblical figures to kind of drive our teaching next year. Uh, another reason is uh, I, I get to speak. I have the opportunity to speak at a couple of schools. And, and this, this particular figure seems to be somebody that is very engaging in his life and his stories Man, they, they, they resonate with young people who are in school right now. And, and this guy happens to be the greatest Old Testament king. And his name is obviously King David. Now for a man who is, you know, in the biblical circles considered the greatest king, he came about his kingship in a very unprecedented manner, if you will. You know, for most, if you've had history classes, uh, for most, royalty, the the throne, is something that is passed down from generation to generation. Unless, of course, you're Queen Elizabeth II and you just decide that you're going to live forever and you refuse to pass the throne down to the next generation. But in most family situations, that's how it happens. Uh, If I'm king, I would pass it down to... The, the next generation. Some people, however, come into kingship with the overthrow of the crown through war. And, and so when you think about monarchs and you think about that type of ruling system, those are the primary ways that one would become king. It's either passed down or there's an overthrow. The nation of Israel, as we've been following along lately, the nation of Israel is desiring an earthly king. Uh, God has set them up into the promised land. They've they've booted out everybody that was living in their land, and they're living there, they're doing their thing. And out out of just this desire of their neighbors, of being jealous of their neighbors, they want an earthly king. They, think about it this way, they desire to have a flawed person to rule over them instead of putting all their trust into a sovereign God. I, I love this quote from our essay this week in the Core 52 book. Mark Moore writes that Israel was infatuated with human monarchs. What Israel really wanted in a king was military protection. They trusted a human warrior more than an invisible God, even though Yahweh historically had proved himself a formidable protector. The people were infatuated with human leaders, and I'm going to stay off my soapbox, and I'm just curious, how does that line, how does that thinking that Mark Moore challenges us with how does that sit with you today? Are you infatuated with human leaders? So this is the nature of Israel. This is the climate. This is what's going on. Israel wants somebody. And so Saul is the first man chosen to be king. And Saul was this imposing figure. He's, he stood head and shoulders above everyone else. He was a good looking guy. He had a rich family background, and and he was the one that seemed to be the best fit. And even though God permitted Saul to be king, Saul was the people's choice and not God's. See, God had a plan, and he had a plan for a king, but the people couldn't wait. They couldn't wait on God. And so Saul, even though the Lord allowed it to happen, Saul was not God's choice. He was the choice of the people. And as you can guess, Saul becomes king. He stumbled. He soon rejected God's instruction. And because of the repeated disobedience, Saul was to be removed and a new king is to be installed so the royal lineage of Saul's family would be very short-lived. And this is the interaction. This is the interaction. This is the message from God to Saul. As he is being informed, your royal line is coming to an end. If you have your Bibles, you want to turn with me to 1 Samuel 15, 26. Saul's talking to Samuel. Samuel's the prophet that God is using to communicate. But Samuel replied, I will not go back with you. Since you have rejected the Lord's command, he has rejected you as king of Israel. God uses this messenger Samuel to go and to search for the next king. Like Saul, you're there, but God's rejected you. You you no longer are the leader of Israel, which is interesting to see how this all plays out eventually. So Samuel tells Saul that, and then Samuel goes on the mission of finding the next king. And God instructs Samuel, go to the town of Bethlehem, go to the house of Jesse, and I'm going to show you which one of Jesse's sons will be the next king. And so Samuel shows up and he, he does this the sacrificial process that he needed to do. He invites Jesse and the family and the boys to pretty much this feast where they're going to celebrate God. And Jesse is, is now aware of why Samuel's there and what he's looking for. And so you've got to know that, I mean, that he's feeling good about himself. And, and when it comes time to select uh, the king from one of Jesse's sons, he prays out his firstborn, as he should. Culturally, that's what he was supposed to do. And and, and look at Samuel's reaction in in 1 Samuel 16, verse six. When the first son comes out, when they arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab and thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed. This guy This firstborn of Jesse has the looks. He has the outward appearance of one who could handle being king. I mean, he handles himself well in the crowd. He's a good looking, he's tall, he's strapping. And surely, Samuel says, this is the Lord's anointed. And then God interrupts. The doting that Samuel is putting on. The Lord said to Samuel, and this is verse 7, this is our verse of the week Don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So this firstborn is not the right son. So they proceed to bring out all the others, bring out the second, bring out the third, bring out the fourth. And as Samuel looks one after another, it isn't until they get to the youngest. It isn't until they get to David when he is brought out, who actually he wasn't even invited to the party. He's out in the fields working. It's not until they get to David that God approves, this is the one I want. He will be the next king. And so Samuel does what he is instructed by God. He anoints David as king. And almost 20 years later, David actually takes the throne of Israel. Don't judge by his appearance or his height. I've rejected him. The Lord does not see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You know, as humans, we, we can't help it. Yeah, you know, we we will judge by outward appearances. We we will judge someone off of a first impression in a heartbeat. The Lord is always concerned with the heart of a person and not just the outward appearance. Look at God's message when Saul found out that he would no longer be king. This is God saying this to Saul in, in 1 Samuel thirteen fourteen. But now your kingdom must end. For the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. The Lord has already appointed him to be the leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's commands. I mean, that's the very message from God through Samuel to Saul about why his kingdom is coming to an end. Because the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And this is how God sees David. Like this young shepherd boy, this young poet... This young musician, this, this young man who's the youngest of this, of, of I can't remember off the top of my head. I'm sorry, I think it's eight. He's the youngest of these. This is the one who I want because he is a man after my heart. You know, that's one of those phrases that gets brought up in Christian circles and in the church. Man, I, I hear that. I hope people, And I hope God has that same feeling about me. I hope people look at my life and they say, Michael, you are a man after God's own heart. And that's a great sentiment. We we love that phrase in Christian circles and we bring it up, but what, what does this even mean? What does it mean to be someone who is after God's own heart? I mean, God was certainly fond of David. He he was the chosen king by God himself. But David wasn't perfect. We looked a couple weeks ago into David's life. David had a multitude of moral failures. David broke six, and some theologians say seven, of the 10 commandments. But this is the guy God chose. How can such a sinner who broke 60% of the law at the time, how can this be the man who is considered to be held in such high regard by God? It's a great question. Maybe you've thought through that yourself with your life. I'm a sinner. I can relate to David. I, I too, have broken 60-ish percent, give or take, of God's commands on my life. Am I worthy of being held in such high regard? Here's the sermon today in a nutshell. And I I read this in an article by Mark Moore someplace else. If you don't pay attention to anything else, pay attention to this being a man after god's own heart is not about the heart you currently have but the heart you are after it's it's not about the heart you have right now it's not about your past it's not about the skeletons in the closet it's about the heart you are after Hey, let me ask you, hey, what are you most passionate about today? Hmm? You ever thought about, like, what, what is it that you are most passionate about? What do, you, what do you talk about the most? What drives your thoughts right now? Is it a trip that you want to take, a family vacation? You know, is it that new car you want or a new gun that you've been eyeing? Well, you know, what is it that you are most passionate about right now? Is it work? Is it about making more money? Is it about climbing the corporate ladder? Maybe it's your children. Is it your favorite college football team? What are you most passionate about? Because here's the thing, passion or zeal for God is what being a man after his own heart is all about. That's what separates David from others. David has an unwavering desire to promote God in all things. David's number one passion in life is God. And you see this zeal for, for God multiple times in David's life. I, I, we, we get the stories of, of the negative, but we see this zeal for God several times. Whether he is dancing in the streets because he's celebrating the victory of God or if he's writing poetry or the Psalms that we read, you see this zeal. You see this passion for God. You look at David's life and you look at he is a man after God's own heart. This guy is most passionate about God and nothing else. You know, certainly one of the most popular Bible stories is the story of David and the giant named Goliath. And and, and this story takes place, you know, David, he he was passionate about God in all things. And he gave credit to God. He glorified God in all things. and, 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 And David is given this task to go check on his brothers. And it doesn't matter what the circumstances are. Doesn't matter what's going on, David was passionate about God, and he was willing to fight a giant that everyone else was scared of. And so this is certainly one of the stories that I've been studying when you look into the life of David, and there's all kinds of incredible facts. And I don't want to share all those with you now in this sermon, in this moment, but you have two armies. You know, when the kings would come out to war, as we learn about david and his shortcomings in the spring you know after the harsh winter the kings would come out and man they've been stockpiling they've been preparing and the philistines want to come in and they want they want to overthrow israel and so you got you get the philistines and they're set up on one ridge and you've got uh, the israelites and they're set up on another ridge and there's this kind of valley in between and it's a lush beautiful valley but here's the thing about this this scene in this fight if I'm gonna go conquer the other army, I actually have to give up my advantage. I have to come down the hill into the valley and then go up the other hill. And at that point, I do not have an advantage. And so for 40 plus days, these two armies are camped out and they're staring at one another. And the Philistines, they have this solution. They say, hey, instead of everybody dying here, just send out your best warrior. Send out your bravest man. Because the Philistines, see, they, they they thought they had an ace. They thought they had a ringer. And they marched out this giant, Goliath. And you need to go read first Samuel 17 and read the statistics, read all the, the measurements of this guy. I mean, he was massive. He was in this imposing force. You know, his his metal, the the, the armor that he wore. Man, it just is incredible how much it weighed, how big his staff was, how big his spear was, how big his sword was, his shield, all of this stuff is just, it's just imposing. And he would come out for 40 days, and he would challenge the Israelites. And he would defy the very God that the Israelites claim to worship. Well, on comes the scene, David. He's here to check on his brothers. He's here to bring them some food because the rations, the, you know, the army didn't have rations. Everybody had to take care of themselves. And so David brings some food because he's commanded by his dad to do that. And he sees this. He sees this giant who's down in the valley and he's he's cursing God and he's cursing the Israelites. And David can't believe it. Like, when are we gonna go take care of this? When are we going to handle this? And they tell him to be quiet. Brothers tell him to hush. So David makes himself Known to Saul, the king says, "I will go down there and fight him." And Saul kind of laughs at him. And David, David sells him on it. He says, "Hey, look here! I've fought lions and I fought bears with a club only. Like when a lion and a bear they come and they they take away a you, a, a I would chase after them and I would I would club them to death and take the baby lamb back to the flock. I can handle this. This is nothing." And so Saul gives David the permission and David enters into the, the valley. He comes down the hill and he's only holding his his staff, his shepherd's shepherd staff. And he's got a sling that we know and he picks up five smooth stones. And he approaches the Philistine. And 1745 is where we pick up. And this is, this is what happens next David replied to the Philistine you come to me with sword spear and javelin but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied today the Lord will conquer you and I will kill you and cut off your head And then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle and he will give you to us. And no matter what the circumstances are, David is going to draw attention to God. Did you see this in the number of times? It's, I'm going to kill you, but everything that is being done here is because of God. The Lord is the one who is going to conquer you. This is the Lord's battle and he will give you over to us. And David is so passionate about God that he cannot stand by and let someone, even if it's a giant, defy the name and honor of of his Lord. He's not going to let it happen. David is so passionate about this that he is willing to go down and fight the giant because he is not going to let someone defy the very name of the Lord. That's how passionate David was. This is what having a heart like God, that God desires, that's what it looks like. Passion and zeal for God and that's what separated David from others I love this quote from our reading this week David became the model leader of Israel precisely because he left leadership in the hands of Yahweh, Israel's ultimate king he was merely God's servant to point God's people to God's laws david's goal was god's fame not his own he battled for god's honor not his own reputation this is the kind of leader god is looking for this is in fact what he wants from you in your own realm of influence flaws aside And David certainly has many. David's passion was promoting God no matter the circumstances. The title for this week is interesting to me. The title of the essay that we're reading is Kingdom of God and if you read the essay this week you know that it's the comparison of three kings israel's first king saul its second king david and then the rightful king jesus we've not talked about the kingdom of god this morning in regards to these three kings we have focused on our verse of the week But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I've rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. What is the kingdom of God and what does that have to do with this verse of the week? Well, the simple answer is this. A kingdom is a territory over which a king reigns. Our attention has been on the heart. Our attention has been on what we are most passionate about. And the kingdom of God is the territory over which a king reigns. Does the king, does the rightful king, rule your heart today saul was the first king saul who was king made his life made himself the kingdom saul became most passionate about all things saul david was a king who made his life about god's kingdom david we know is most passionate about god but then there's the third king jesus is king and he desires for your heart to be the territory in which he rules jesus is most passionate about you and so, as we close out this teaching today on the kingdom of God, a territory in which a king reigns, I want you to think about a scene between Jesus and some religious leaders. It's towards the end of Jesus' time here on earth, and Jesus is talking to the crowds, he's talking to his disciples, and I'm telling you, he's harsh. He is calling out religious people. He's calling out those who go through the motions of coming to church and coming to the temple and doing all the things that you're supposed to do. He's calling those people out. And Jesus gets into their practices, right? He gets into their teachings and he gets into their behavior. And he tells his audience And this is in Matthew 23. He tells his audience that everything they do is for show. Everything that these religious people do is for show. The outward appearance of these religious leaders is very misleading. They seem to have it all together. They seem to be the example to live by. But Jesus is like, don't be fooled. Don't be fooled by their outward appearance. Because Jesus has the unique ability that you and I unfortunately don't have. Jesus has the ability to know the heart. And in verse 25, Jesus says some harsh things. Matthew 23, 25. What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees. You hypocrites, for you are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first wash the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will become clean too. What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, you look like righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy, and lawlessness and those are some harsh words and Jesus emphasizes to his audience listening to those listening then and to those listening today what's really important to God isn't how well you seem to have all things together well what's important to God is not that you go through the motions of the religious activities what's important to god is your heart and what is your heart most passionate about maybe you're sitting here today and you don't know what your next step is hey i want to be a person after god's own heart i want god to look at me and to know that 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 i am i am passionate for him that i have zeal for him but how do i know and what We're 35 minutes into this thing, Michael. How do I know? I want to bring it full circle and bring it back to David. And I want to close with a prayer, and I want to challenge you. If you desire this morning to have a heart after God, if you desire this morning to be passionate about God above everything else, but you just don't know if you're there, then I want you to pray the prayer that David prayed. Psalm 139. Will you pray this prayer with me this week? As as you digest, as you think about God's word as it speaks to us now. Psalm 139, 23 and 24. David prayed to God and he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me. And know my anxious thoughts. Here it is. Point out anything in me that offends you. And lead me along the path of everlasting righteousness. If you will do this. If you will pray this prayer. God will point out to you the very things. The very things that are keeping you. From having a heart after him. Till next week.